My name is Jason, and you're listening to the Farming Eternal podcast, the number one eternal podcast. Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by Patrick or Patamaro, Ruben or Barefoot Farmer, and myself, Ben Grasher, uh, back on the data mining team. Uh, we have a special guest for you this week, returning for the third time, Celtic Seven Guardian. Hello again. Um, how many times do I have to be a guest before I stop being a guest? Uh, I have the same question. Uh, the, the guests have taken over the facility. So uh, Patrick is taking a little bit of a break uh, this week. You'll have to deal with uh, Celtic and myself this week, but then we may be back to business as usual next week. Well, I'm thrilled to be back. I'll do as many of these as um, people will actually want me for. Excellent. That's good. This is episode 30, a nice round number. Uh, for those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and Patrick, mostly Patrick, get better at draft. Uh, we get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. This week, we're going to talk about how our uh, draft week went, some announcements, uh, listener of the week, Patreon question of the week, which is a new uh, feature, and card of the week. We're also going to do our standard segments of uh, seven win run breakdown. And we'll be finishing off our synergy topic from episode 29, talking a little bit about token synergy. We'll also do part four of the phase theory that we've been talking about for the last uh, few episodes. We'll talk a little bit about racing there. And then we'll go over a draft by Camel Milk, who was kind enough to send us one. Celtic, how has your draft week been going this week? Well, most of this month I was pretty busy um, with real life stuff. So I said, oh, I need to get to Masters. Let's cram a bunch of drafts in today. And I got a 7-0, which I was thrilled with. I'm up to 13 of those now playing since closed betas. So that should be an example of how bloody hard those are to get. Yeah. Um, and then I got a 7-1 with the rest, mostly breaking even. Hit Masters and the draft I submitted last week, which had Rost in it, went 5-3, which was very solid given the uh, crazy influence. Given, That's a pretty good, uh, pretty good achievement, I would say. A pretty good achievement, and I got to play Rost with a Heretics Cannon, which <laughs> my, my opponent conceded. <laughs> That's pretty good. It's also uh, quite thematic for a deck with Rost to go five wins, I think. Yes, that's true. Five or seven are both good. With, so, how about you? Uh, so, I've been doing pretty good. The streaming has been going uh, pretty well. I picked up a couple sevens. Uh, I kind of went back to basics a little bit in terms of uh, four or five faction forcing that I've been doing. I, I was doing a little bit too much, I think, of Blood Nurse, Bear Arms, Ooze, Horn, Synergy stuff. So I kind of just went back to basics, Corrupted Behemoth, that sort of thing, and mid-range creatures, and it, the results have gotten a little better. So I heard, I heard something about um, dinosaurs being a major pick for you. Uh, yeah, so I also had my, let's say, co-streamer on stream, uh, my, my daughter Rowan, uh, she helped me out evaluating some various dinosaurs. So that's a pretty uh, cute video if you want to take a look at that. I appreciate um, both starting them early and having dinosaur love. Yes, yes. She's, she's a big fan of dinos, that's for oh, sure. Also, under-fredatory carnosaur already. Your excuse is gone. <laughs> exactly. I saw some people talking about that. That was pretty cool. Carnosaur is like my wife's favorite card, so yeah. she would be okay with that as well. <laughs> we have uh, four shiny uh, of those on her account. Okay, cool. Sounds like we're, we're doing pretty good this week. Talking about announcements, 
Uh, I would just want to take a minute here and thank our, our patrons. Uh, we've had quite a lot of positive feedback from several people and monetary donations at our Patreon site, uh, patreon.com slash farmingeternal. Uh, the contributors are Marshall, Cassandrath, Jed the Hummerid, Raven Dragon, Srich0215, Sunblaze, Work Done Sun, and Yistout. You guys are amazing. Uh, we, we really appreciate all of the, the support and it really helps motivate us to to keep doing this it's it's wonderful they're also um besides just the monetary contributions they've been doing a lot of talking in the discord and it's been fun to bounce off them oh yeah for sure like the the discord is really uh really popping and they've got their cool purple flares to make them stand out and uh it really uh i, I want to read things by purple people it's great <laughs> <laughs> so the other uh, major announcement that we have is our Double Draft Duels Tournament has concluded. Uh, for details on this, if you're not familiar, check out the Patreon. But we held a huge round-robin tournament with 16 participants uh, looking at some uh, cool draft decks from the whole 6.0 format. Everybody played everybody, and we, we completed 90% of, of the matches with just kind of find your opponent and play if you can <laughs> which was pretty pretty good it went it went it went great actually uh the the winner was patrick uh so he took down the win with 28 points he completed all of his games rigged uh, yeah rigged indeed <laughs> uh so the next closest competitors were uh, myself and uh, another ship with 24 points and we had just a ton of people in competition till the very end in the 22 to 23 point range, including uh, Celtic herself here. We're uh, gathering quite a lot of feedback in the Discord channel to help make this process go even better the next time. Uh, we have plans for version two of this, uh, which should be coming in a few weeks, and version three, and so on and so forth. So we'll be we'll be doing the same thing again. Uh, maybe a little bit bigger, maybe a little bit better in the future. And it was just a really cool experience, I think. Uh, so what did you think? What did you think about the the tournament in general, Celtic? I had a ton of fun. Felt like I got a lot closer with our community, got to see some cool decks, uh, really had fun with mine. Uh, I used uh, Lorray, who is a rather unknown legend. Would you mind letting us know the 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 stats of that card, because I get it confused with the, the Soothsayer one. Sure. Uh, she's a three cost, um, one primal, zero six, has a twist ability where you get a relic based on what her toughness is. Co the cost is uh, equivalent. So if you twist her to five, grab the uh, Horn of Plenty, for instance. Oh, man, that's nasty, because <laughs> then it bumps her back up to six and you can twist her again. Yep. And... Uh, with a double draft style, I had two horns. Um, <laughs> That's a pretty good combination. Along there. with uh, Worm Stones and uh, Frost Talisman, or not Frost Talisman, uh, Storm Talisman, that one. That's um, pretty good. All Seraph, that. And, like, Seraph starts out slow. She She's based on the power, but Lurai starts on the toughness, so she gets you the good stuff right off the bat. Well, not only that, she has another ability, which a lot of people overlooked. Uh, opponents cannot activate their relics or use relic weapons against... Uh, they can't uh, attack with them. I, so can... I definitely did not know that that was <laughs> text on the card. Uh, I had two opponents who both played relic weapons and couldn't swing with them, 
<laughs> and one of them actually contacted me in game and said, I think my game's bugged. I can't swing my relic weapons. <laughs> yep. Opening a bug report as we speak. I'd also like to find a way to make the power seem less awkward in a 90-card deck, but that's not easy to figure out. Um, I'm game for what everyone decides on, and I really like that it's casual. Um, the only prize is bragging rights, and I feel like I can play a lot better when I'm not worrying about some sort of prize on the line, but that's me. Yeah, I, I actually was getting some flashbacks to the uh, Top 100 Masters draft tournament. I, I was really nervous when I was playing the games, and I was just like, oh, don't don't let me you know, flood out, or I, I need to just draw a power in the next two. Let's see if it can happen. It, so it was strangely more stressful to me than playing on ladder or whatever, or just in a normal draft. But I I, I just like it so much. So we have some plans for the, the next edition, and uh, it might be a 75-card format. We'll see, instead of a 90-card format. We'll see. We'll see what we can do there. We're still yeah. working through the details. But it was good. It was a. It was fun. It was a fun time. I'm looking forward to the next one. Excellent. So the next segment is listener of the week. We'd like to call out uh, Spiro here for his great contributions to the Discord. His positivity. Uh, he's done a bunch of draft walkthroughs where he he gives people time to comment. He will ask questions and not just like what's the pick? Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. He's he's really kind of engaging in a discussion uh so that that's really good uh so thank you spiro do you have anything you'd like to to add there Celtic? i i really enjoy uh doing drafts with him or them i'm sorry um and they have given a lot of them not just one every time i pop in there it feels like there's another one going on I, and they <laughs> we've all agreed that um it helps everyone involved also Lots of good gifts, like very strong ones. <laughs> I, I really like the Flaming Train one that they used for uh, one of their uh, drafts. So for our next segment, we're trying something we're calling the Patreon Question of the Week. We have a patron-only patron, patron only channel on the Discord. And in there, we talk about various things. And one of the, one of the things we've discussed is taking questions from the patrons to talk about on the podcast. Uh, so we're going to be taking one of those questions now from uh, Jed the Hummerid. Uh, he asked us, uh, what are our top three cards that people in the community underrate the most? I think this is an interesting question because it tests our, our individual card evaluation and like our thoughts on what the community evaluates cards and to find the biggest differences there. So we'll be talking about a few of these cards now and uh generally we think these cards are underrated so maybe we'll see them a little later maybe we'll get more of them than we would expect so i'll start us off here and i i just think i see toroid test pilot a lot more than i would expect uh the the card is really good it's flying threat good defender good attacker and i've seen it like sixth seventh eighth pick uh, so I think people are not valuing that quite as strongly as uh, they should be. Yeah, I think so too. Um, that's one of my premier justice comments when I'm in justice. That's just the thing. Almost all the time, justice is cut for me. <laughs> um, people seem to be like, that's the best faction. Let's always play that. And you don't get to have any of it. And I go, oh, okay. I will say, I think people about like, oh, just from what I've seen, I've seen Roosting Warhawk a lot less than, uh, to ride test pilot and i think that's strictly incorrect i'd almost always rather have test pilot over warhawk even though they're both good 
I completely agree. I think those two cards are the community has them reversed, and they're taking, like I say, they they, they see Roosting Warhawk and think Steel Legion, <laughs> and no. uh, I don't I don't have the same opinion. Whereas Tard Test Pilot, I see like I don't know a good archive creator or a lightning sprite something like that. So, Not that a curator needs anything else. But, exactly. You know. What What about you? What's one of your uh, cards that you think the community most underrates? I'm saying this as a strictly underrated card. Not saying you should go first pick this. Entangling Vines. I'm sure that's a huge shock to anyone who's heard my opinions on Flash Freeze and the like. But this is based on me seeing this card second to last in last weekend packs, which Flash Freeze often did that too. Which I think we all agree that Flash Freeze is really strong. That's true, yeah. Now, Entangling Vines is not as good as Flash Freeze in most cases. There's always going to be edge cases along the lines of, oh, I only have two power, Entangling Vines is better. Okay, sure, but <laughs> um, most of the time, Flash Freeze is better. But Entangling Vines has always felt good to me. Uh, warp is very flexible. It's only two costs, so it's easy to warp. Um, hits up to two units. You're not restricted to having to hit two. It's cheap, uh, as mentioned, uh, so even if you do draw it, you can hold on to it until you have an opening. And it works both offensively and defensively, which I think is quite valuable. I think it's a little better on offense because of the, the, the way slow speed stuns work. Mm -hmm. But it, it, is, it is a little bit of a, it'll gain you some life or a little bit of breathing room to establish your defenses when you play it defensively. So it, it can have a usage there. One of the questions I had for you about Entangling Vines is, how much do you disrupt your curve when you see it on top? Like, and does that depend on the board state? Is, are, do you have any thoughts about that? Like, you have it on top on turn four, and you have a Torrid Test Pilot or something. Would you play the Test Pilot, or would you warp the, uh, the Entangling Vines off the top? Depends on my hand. If I've got a bunch of five drops and I really want power, then I'll warp the binds off so I can be certain that I'm not going to draw a dead card in that situation. I use that. I use finger quotes with that you, that you can't see. If it's not an issue of like what's going to be drawn next, um, then I'll usually hold it and just play the test pilot. I will also say that uh, Patrick mentioned that he actually doesn't like that the card has warp because he always feels compelled to cast it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my re my reaction to him is. No, you just wait and be disciplined and get the card anyway. It's a bonus. No, I think that that is actually really good. So it's convenient if it has warp, but it's one of those cards that is super situational. Yes. So it can be good. It can be much more impactful to cast it later, and you pay like a fraction of a card to, to have drawn it. But if you get that full value, maybe it overtakes... Uh, the, the warp value. I think a lot of people just underrate stuns in general. They're like, that doesn't kill a unit. Who cares if it kills the unit? I want to kill my opponent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And stuns are def... It, it is um, frustrating for me to lose to them sometimes because it's not a real... You know, they didn't really kill my guys, but then I die. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's... I, like, the scoreboard is a, is a good argument there. Yeah, I mean, I... I've won games to stun where my opponent like had me dead on board and I just stunned the very few blockers that were stopping them me from killing them. Yeah. Uh, Terror on the think... Mountain is a card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a pretty good discussion about that later, I think, in yep. the main topic. Yep, yep. So 
I'm going to go with my second option here. And I've been thinking, I've just been thinking so much about diving Teriaks lately. And I, it was my card of the week last week, I think. The card just does a pretty good job of being a kind of a defensive unit. Like a 2-4 for 6 is... <laughs> those are pretty bad stats, to be fair. But 4 Toughness Flyer is pretty hard to kill. And 2 Attack is a lot better than the 1 Attack 4 Toughness Flyers, like uh, Archive Curator. It also is, has a board-impacting effect. Uh, where maybe you can kill off a little guy or finish off something. A, a lot of turns I'll attack like a stranger into a 4-4. They'll block, and then I'll diving Terryx finish it off. And that's kind of trading a stranger for a 4-4, w- which is pretty good. So it, it kind of rewards you for sacking units when you attack in. I, I just think... I think if you asked a random person about this card that, that drafts, they would rate Diving Terex as something like a zero. Like they wouldn't even consider playing the card. And I think it's better than that. Yeah, my opinion on Diving Terex is it's never done enough for me to want it. Um, <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> but I will say that it's not, you don't put it at zero. Almost no unit goes at exactly zero because it's a body. If you need a body, you have it. There's Gorgon Cutthroat, which can kill you, so I, I don't. I guess that could be a zero. The uh, the thing I so I draft a lot of five color, and when you when you do five color, you spend a lot of picks on fixing. Uh, now some of those are strangers, but oftentimes you'll take fixing over like a medium to high end curve creature, and you'll just be in a situation where you need to fill in the top end a little bit. Uh, and this is a good like late pick that you can use to do that. Uh, you'd rather, I mean, there's no doubt you'd rather have Corrupted Behemoth. You'd rather have, you know, some sort of very large board impacting creature. But the Terriax has done a lot better for me than I would have expected. And I didn't play this card in 6.0, that's for sure. Well, in, but, uh, in five yeah. colors, whenever I draft a deck that has five factions, I only want to because I have really powerful cards. If I'm playing five factions and it's because of like diving Terriax, then I don't <laughs> want to be in five factions. No, I agree with that. It's just some, sometimes your powerful cards are early on the curve or sometimes your powerful cards is that, that you have a lot of removal and what you're missing is just something at the top of the curve. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a pretty reasonable something at the top of the curve. I, I think it's more like replacement level sauropod crasherish sort of yeah. thing than, than a really good card. But it does definitely go like last pick. And, it's and it's underrated it. in the sense that it's not absolute garbage like people say, but I don't yeah. think it's very good either. Okay, so I guess I'll go with my next one. I've been getting a lot of late blade whirlers, and I don't agree with that. <laughs> um, the third blade whirler is a five cost shadow card that is a five two, and it's part of the cycle that gives a boost to another unit while it's on the board. Uh, this one gives plus three attack to a unit, and that. Turns out to be really scary, especially on flyers. It's very good on flyers, that's for sure. It can force unfavorable trades as as well, like with Outlaw Ringleader, who I adore. Um, But uh, Outlaw Ringleader, people seem to realize that's a good card, so they actually take it. (laughs) Um, But uh, think about like with with a Ringleader, where you can give plus four attack to a unit and then just have them run in, and you don't care if it was a two one or whatever. they're going in as a 6-1, and your opponent has to trade or take a lot of damage. Um, Blade Whirler is kind of similar. Put it, put the plus 3 on a stranger, suddenly you've got another 5-2, and your opponent has to trade their good unit for, unless they want to take 5 damage from a stranger. <laughs> yeah, um, I think I think it would be pretty good in a, 
a lot better in aggressive decks than mid-range. Would you agree with that? Yes, I would say, unless you have, like, a good ground game and you have flyers, then again, it's really nice. Yeah, um, to finish the games off. I think that uh, a lot of people find the five cost to be intimidating, and I think a lot of them would also say something along the lines of, well, Master of Arms is the best of that cycle. I don't need any of the others. It's like, yeah, Master of Arms is great. That doesn't mean that Blade Whirler is not great. <laughs> um, yeah, you just might not be in Justice, or you might be splashing Justice, or you might be... You might not see the card. So you yes. just have to deal with the cards that you see. So I would say that's the second best card in the cycle on the on in most decks. Sure. For the others, uh, Plover is okay. I mean, it's a, it's a flyer. If you really need a flyer and you want to give a boost to something, sure. Um, Shaman is good for twist decks. I don't really want it otherwise. And of course, Scavenger, I've never found a deck I've wanted it in, to be honest. It's just too too expensive and for a ground unit. Yeah. Um, if it was a flying unit, sure, but I don't if know, it was, just, just a little low impact. If it did almost anything besides what it did, then maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it's just not pretty good. It's just, it just costs way too much. Yeah. Cool, cool. So um, one of the cards I'd like to call out is basically any of the display cycle. The, these are the three color fast spells for three power. Uh, that have three modes. Uh, and pretty much all of them, except I would say maybe the the Corendon or Time Justice Shadow uh, display are vision. very good. Yeah, display of vision. Quick note on that one before we continue. Temporary Plague is still good. It's it's okay. It's like a flash. I, I view it as kind of like a flash grenade. Uh, but I don't... The, but there are so wanna... many... Uh one drops and so many trades you can make with it. It's not like flash grenade where you're just taking away attack. You're taking away toughness. Um, yeah. I am that mode in vision is really nice. Now it's not as strong as the others. I agree, but don't just dismiss it out of hand. Yeah. I just think it's more of a one mode charm, like the uh, display of instinct. It's kind of a one mode charm as well, where it's a removal spell. Uh, but the, the other displays are, are quite strong, I think. And, they often get passed because people are not very confident in splashing, I think. And they're a very strong reward for being five color because you can just play all of these that you see. These and are, they're just extremely good. These are the reason to splash, like one of the reasons. Yeah. Because all of them only have one influence cost um, it, for each of the three that they're in. Yeah. Um, We're going to have to do like a whole segment on the displays because like you say five displays there's like maybe 16 modes across those you'd say 15 but i think one of them actually has four modes we're gonna have to do like a whole whole section on this and we'll do that at some point in the future because the, these cards are just great but w when you see them fourth when you see them fifth just take them and be very happy because uh, the cards are extremely powerful in my uh, recent draft that I did, I actually posted a screenshot on the Discord, and we'll talk about it at some point, I'm pretty sure. But um, I got a uh, Display of Instinct as, a, as an eighth pick. Yeah, that's that's way too late. <laughs> way too late. Um, even if you're just speculating, you should take that over a card that you know is mediocre. Okay, would you like to finish off our little cycle here of most underrated cards by the community? I'm going to say this as some as from my own experience, not from what people have said, because people obviously seem to know this card is really busted when I talk to them. But when I draft it, Mighty Strikes has gone super late. Um, I feel like yeah. I shouldn't have to say this, um, but it, 
do people really not want to be in Skycrag or have the fixing for Skycrag? I, I um, think it's the same same thing as the displays where people will be in one of the colors but say to themselves they're not in the other color. And if they're trying to draft two color decks, only one out of every 10 people will be in Skycrag. And that's just, that means those cards are going to go real late and you can you can get a lot of advantage by by drafting them. But Buddy Strikes is so dumb. They had to nerf it. It was that dumb, and it's they still did, dumb. They did, yeah. Yeah, so this is a it's a three-cost uh, Skycrag or Fire Primal fast spell. It gives a unit plus two, plus two, and Overwhelm. And then you can amplify it for three more power to give either the same unit or a different unit another plus two, plus two. And you can do that as many times as you have power. So it can get really out of control. It's uh, it's overwhelmed. So if your opponent yeah. decides to make a like chump block, and you suddenly decide to pour a bunch of mighty strikes under that unit, then whoops, dead. It's it's not as cheap as bottoms up, but it also has more. Uh, it's some, different. Yeah. There's some other points where it's really good. Uh, both of those cards can just win games out of nowhere. For sure, and because of the amplify, like you can do it to two units. You can give two units overwhelm. And that's that can translate into just a lot of damage. So I think that's a really good one. I've definitely seen that card very late. I think also that um, some people might think it's just an aggro card. It really isn't. Um, notice that it's plus two attack and defense. Yeah, yeah. I think the presence of Mighty Strike has has made cards like Daring Maneuver or High Alert go down a lot in my book mm-hmm. because like the card is just so much better. And in the late game. Like it's kind of like a cannon type of effect in the late game, yeah. Where you, you build up this big board stall, you attack with a bunch of guys, they do some blocks to presumably stay alive, and then you give up two or three of them overwhelm and they die. Yep. Uh, it's pretty pretty easy to win those situations, so it's a it's a good good card in a board stall. Uh, now that we're done with our underrated cards, we're just going to talk about cards that we really like in our Card of the Week segment. Uh, so the card that I really like as a five-faction uh, guru that I am is a Forsworn, Forsworn Stranger, a three-cost uncommon creature that's a zero-zero. That's pretty good. Uh, but it gets plus one plus one for each type of influence that you have so if you have all five factions it's a three cost five five and it is not a summon ability or anything like that it it dynamically adjusts as you add more influence so it can come out as a three three but then grow to a five five like a champion of chaos type of uh type of behavior And, and this card is just like super above curve it it's it it says you're going to get into the late game most of the time. Now, you did bring up something about this, and it's uh, important to call that out. Uh, it's a double-edged uh, sword. You you uh, get to have it grow, but you also die if it gets silenced most of the time. Uh, if you put a weapon on it or something, then okay. But um, uh, Yeah, but that's not... It's pretty much dead then, uh, too. Rest in peace if Archive Curator comes onto the board. Yeah, yeah. Um, For sure. It, so you're definitely taking a risk with yes. it, but there's not a ton of silence in the format. There's Archive Curator, which is one of the best limited cards yes. they've ever printed, and uh, Desert Marshal, which is a multicolor card. Uh, but, Mute and Dispel are two of the ones to look at. Yeah, out. I'm seeing a lot less of those because they there's a lot more exciting combat tricks, like we were just talking about, like the Mighty Strikes, High Alert, that sort of thing. 
in in the previous format, we were kind of scraping for playable, so Dispel started to look pretty good. Dispel still has draw a card on it. I mean, if I'm going to oh, use yeah. it for filler, then it's fine. <laughs> it's good in a uh, like a mid range deck with not very many flyers because it's yes. just kind of a removal spell draw card in that that mode. But just in general, like the the card is pretty good. It's extremely good in in five faction. Uh, and I'm I'm even taking it over the influence strangers now if if my fixing is is acceptable. What yeah, about you? I, uh, What's your card of the week? Well, I was just gonna mention oh, that I love strangers. Right. So <laughs> if it's yeah. got the if it's got the word stranger in it, I'm probably on board. So yeah, Sounds good choice. Good. <laughs> um, for me, I chose Streetwise Informant. That is a four Justice Shadow uncommon one four unblockable endurance. Pay five to get plus two armor. Uh, I chose this one because it fits into our theme for later. Um, the racing sure, sure. scenarios. This is a guy that you want on your side when you're racing. He's a good blocker, a good attacker, and gives you a power sink. He excels because he can't be blocked, obviously. Um, yeah. Wears armor buffs extremely well, such as Blade Whirler. Um, I've also heard of uh, somebody on the for- on the Discord drafted one and said, I've got two bear arms or something, and apparently that worked uh, out well for them. And that's only um, one color off. That's a, You only need a three-color deck to play yeah. uh, Informant and Bear Arms in the same deck. Yeah, um, he has Endurance as well, so you're not only attacking with him, but you're also blocking with him if you are like big enough to not be worried about them having a trick or something. And I, I remember very vividly that when I used to watch Sir Rhino streams, he he did not realize his card had Endurance when he was first using it. So when he saw it had Endurance, he's like, oh my gosh, why is this card printed? It's really good. It's even better. So uh, like, That was in Omens, mind you. So that was way back. Um, oh, boy. But uh, this his ability, by the way, it's not once per turn. It's a, I happen to have 10 power, nothing to do with it. Let's get four armor instead. It also powers up like relic weapons and yes. the, the various armor synergies that you probably talked about in the last episode. Yes, we did. Uh, yeah, it's it's just a pretty solid card. It's very solid, and I actually haven't gotten to use him in this format because people are actually picking him. <laughs> yeah. But um, that... I loved him in previous ones, and I thought he was very on topic, so there you go. Yeah, for sure. The uh, So do you think, like, un- unblockable is a very kind of interesting uh, mechanic, especially when combined with endurance. <laughs> you, you can always block and you can always attack. But... Uh, do you think it's it would be better or worse if it had flying instead of unblockable? I'd say worse. Probably worse. Yeah, I think so. And I look at unblockable. I, I love flying, and I look at unblockable, and for some reason, it I don't. It's like super flying. Unblockable is, but I, I don't see it like that for some reason. And that's a that's a leak in my game for sure. Well, possibly, but you also can't block flyers. And then yeah, you go, yeah. well, that's one of the benefits is he can block. But um, I still think Unblockable is worth it just because it's so hard to stop units with that. Oh, for sure, yeah. And there are some pretty good combos with it in, in the format. Okay, let's get to our uh, one of our main segments here, the 7-win run breakdown. So we have a long-standing standing We have a long-standing data collection project here at Farming Eternal. Our listeners mail us their seven-win drafts, uh, and you you can mail them to farmingeternal at gmail.com or uh, post them on the seven-win channel of the Discord uh, and get feedback from other people. Uh, We accept exported deck lists and any kind of Eternal Warcry link 
but please uh, not just images because then we have to like transcribe them into some other format and we can make mistakes and it's time consuming. So some kind of text uh, format is the best. So we take all this information from our awesome listeners, compile it into a spreadsheet and do data analysis on the various lists to draw conclusions about the format. Then we share these conclusions with you, our listeners, so that we can all benefit from uh, this kind of community uh, information building exercise. Uh, and then part of this process is shouting out the listeners that submitted lists to us in the past week. Uh, let's do that. So we had we actually had no new submitters this week. Uh, and then for veteran submitters, uh, myself, uh, Ben Grisher, Caleb C, Camel Milk, Celtic Guardian, Darth Herman Two, Dubes, Fangwarp, Joey Andy Huvet, John Holio with four lists, Cassandrith with three lists, Leo the Plurodon, uh, Raven Dragon, Rofer with three lists, Rizla with three lists, Sidetracker, Soapy Elo, Spiffy Man, and Tempest Dragon King. Thank you very much. Uh, we had 34 lists this week from 18 listeners, which is which is pretty good. So our list of the week this week uh, as part of the 7-1 run breakdown is Cassandra's a pretty balmy uh, TPS or Aurelian uh, list, list 152. Uh, he has a lot of uncommons in this list and uh, is just, I, I think, let's, let me open it up here real quick. I believe there were two frost elementals uh, in a in a three color deck, so color requirements are not uh, super bad. He had a bunch of on color strangers. Sorry, he had three frost elementals. Three. <laughs> Why would you only have two frost elementals? Uh, Lumina Tenant, Corrupted Behemoth, Double Eviscerate, uh, Horn of Plenty, Zende the Heartbinder, and Blurred Stigmalock. Like he just found a lot of uncommons to fit in here. Nine uncommons and a, and a legendary. Quick note, because a lot of people don't know what Z who Zende is. Six costs, two primal, two shadow, four four. Zende the Heartbinder, Flying Pledge. Summon, play an elf with cost four or less from your void. If you have a relic, play two instead. Legendary Elf Servant. Uh, elf Serpent, wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so and he even has some elves in the deck. He has a Lethri Intimidator, uh, and I think that's it for elves. Okay, four for flyer for now. six is pretty good, and and pledge. That's pretty reasonable, I would say. It's a four for flyer. I mean, who cares? Yeah. That's all you need. Um, but uh, no, I mean she's cool. Uh, I like that card a lot, and it's nice to see a seven win list with her. Uh, I was very miffed. I got Unbreakable Alliance in one of my lists. I didn't get to submit it to the seven. I wanted to skew the, the totals. Oh, that's too bad. It is, <laughs> but at least Zenday's here. And hey, your uh, friend Diving Terry is too. Ooh, fancy. Yeah. So I, I'd also like to give a, a little mini shout out to Rofer here. Uh, Rofer had three 7-0 lists and a 7-1. Uh, and many of those lists were very aggressive uh, with like more than 22 commons, a bunch of uh, combat tricks, uh, mostly two color with a few splashes, maybe a little bit of fixing, but but none of this four or five color nonsense like uh, like you'll see from me. So if you want to see some lists uh, of how Agro has seen some success, check out Rofer's lists, uh, 140, 145, and 147. Uh, and he's fairly active in the Discord, so uh, give him a at 
and maybe you'll have some good aggro conversations. My question is, what kind of goat they sacrifice to be able to get seven zero three times? I don't know. Because uh, it doesn't matter how good your deck is if uh, <laughs> you're trying to get a seven zero, because something is going to go wrong most something. of the time. Uh, Spiffy man, I think knocked me off one of my seven O's. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, it's just was, it's real hard. I was uh, I was very happy with the seven zero I got. I was against Matty Oker for the final one. I thought, well, that's gonna blow it, but nope. So I guess we'll talk a little bit about top uncommons here. We'll just run through the list real quick. We have enough data now to maybe share a little bit here. If you want more information, definitely check out uh, the links to the spreadsheet on the uh, website, in the show notes, uh, in the episode notes on uh, on SoundCloud. In, it's everywhere, on the Discord, in Reddit. Uh, you'll be able to find the, the sheet if, you, if you're interested. So the number one common by a, like a wide margin is display of knowledge. And uh, Celtic talked about how she's had some success with that. I've had some some success with that as well, and it's it's double the the next highest. So it's doing real well on the background rate metric. We also on here have Heretic's Cannon, Display of Honor, Feeding Time, Spiteful Strike, Bottoms Up, Display of Instinct, Combray Healer, Courier Albatross, and Fallen Militiaman. I think all of these cards are well above uh, background rate. They all help you uh, win games or are extremely swingy uh, in a positive direction for your side of the of the board. Uh, are there any of these that you'd specifically like to call out? Uh, sure. I think it's inter- I think it's really interesting that Combra Healer is the top unit, um, but she's such yeah. a nice, flexible unit, helps with twists, gives you some health. Um, Three drop, very easy to splash or play in a main combo deck. Um, she's very good. Um, and I think a lot of times when people say, oh, but that's not the most bomb uncommon, you say, but it's also one of the most recognizably good uncommons. Yeah. it's. I don't think there's a bigger creature for three power. D- just to, to begin with, like a two five, there's no, there's nothing bigger than that outside uh, of like a legendaries. Hmm, um, I'm not certain on that. I mean, she could just stay a 2-2, depending. But, um, well, I mean, in terms of stat points they provide yes. when, when they get on the board. It's just, it's really huge. And that she can target herself is very important. You don't have to have something else on yes. board. It's Pop a life Agus. gain spell. Like, it's it's just real good at stabilizing or when, yes. you're, when you're on defense. Uh, no, I, I was just going to comment that I understand why, even though that wasn't like my oh, first yeah. thought. No, for sure. Like, it, that's, it's kind of a... It's not like super exciting. It's kind of defensive. Like you don't see uh, the the fancy primal flyers that that were in the mm-hmm. 6.0 format on here. Uh, it's just like Combray Healer, Albatross, and Militiaman. Those are the units, which is pretty interesting, I think. Um, Militiaman's kind of a surprise to me. I really like Militiaman. I didn't think a lot of people were high on him though, so it's cool to see that he's been having success. Yeah, I think Militiaman is extremely good. Yes. I really dislike the Sorceress. Uh, Soul Collector. I, well, Soul Collector is a similar card. Yes. Uh, but Soul Collector is double shadow and yeah. one more and doesn't protect itself. So it's it's just way better than Soul Collector. And Soul oh, Collector, yes. I, I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for Soul Collector. Because it's so easy to just trade units and have this guy get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yes. Uh, it is both 
sides of the board, uh, unlike Ollie. Uh, it is both sides yep. of the board, unlike Submerged Titan, uh, unlike um, various other cards. Like, it, it just wants to see creatures die, and it just get, gets bigger and bigger. So, As somebody who's not really experienced with magic, I did play some of it on the uh, Magic Duels. There was a card in it that I really liked that took into account when your units died, but it didn't take into effect the other board. So much worse, when I started, right? when I started uh, playing Eternal and I saw Soul Collector, I'm like, oh gosh, this is really good, isn't it? But that was in set one. Now we're yep. up to uh, this set where Bone Militia Man is even better. <laughs> yeah. The cards just keep getting better in this game. And this this is definitely a pushed version of Soul Collector at an, at an uncommon. So to be fair, at least Soul Collector has the life gain, and that can matter at times. I still wouldn't say pick her over Fallen Militia Man, but I would say she has her own niche, and that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I still think it's a reasonable card. Uh, I'm just, like, real excited about Fallen Militia Man. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, we'll go into more depth on the commons and uncommons in a future episode, but we have a lot to talk about today, so we're moving on to our extension from episode 29, Synergies in the 6.5 format, Tokens. Yes. So tell us what's going on with Tokens in 6.5, Keldic. I haven't gotten to draft this much myself, um, but I've seen other people, uh, particularly in streams, but also on the uh, Discord, um, who have had it open and been able to make great use of them. When I say tokens, I'm not talking about the kind of tokens that give you influence. I'm talking about creature-created tokens. I really wish there was a better term for that in this game, but there isn't. It's very different from other card games because these produce units that still are units when they're bounced or die. They don't just vanish. Yeah, that's um, true. So, worth noting, I think that this set really expanded on the synergies for them because even though there are similar cards as the previous one, just they feel so much better here, especially the fixing. Um a lot of people say that it's Fire Justice Shadow that really likes it, but as you pointed out, there's actually a lot of time cards that um, are token-oriented. Uh, yeah, I've I've been trying to do a little bit of experimenting with this myself. The old uh, Horn, Blood Nurse, uh, Bear Arms, uh, Ooze, four card grouping there, and those cards work really well together. Yes, uh, um... I think the reason that most people say Fire Justice Shadow is because that's actually a supported faction, and Fire Time Shadow doesn't have uh, like a token yet, like as in the fixing token. Yeah, and it um, was the that was the theme of uh, the five point zero Winchest uh, three faction group was having a bunch of little units that you make better. Yes, so um, it makes sense that for it to be those three factions. But I, I do agree with you that uh, the time is breaking in there is an important faction. No, I think that you uh, brought up a good point with that. And I think that um, there uh, Justice is still worth mentioning because there are some really good Justice cards that benefit from it. But uh, let's go through a quick list of the ones that are worth noting. Sure. Um, what about the what cards uh, make a lot of units to uh, to enable these synergies? Well, you just mentioned Blood Nurse, and that's a pretty notable one. Um, card went from being really bad to being okay with synergies like this. Fire Main Lioness is one that I really like. Uh, you amplify her, and for every two amplify, uh, you get a, a cute little cub that can charge and hit your opponent. Sure. <laughs> We've got Grenade and Drone. Uh, manufacture, 
Outlaw Ringleader and Scavenge. Scavenge was my card of the week last week, so I talked a lot about that one. Yeah, that's a standout um, for this for this uh, synergy group. Yes. In time, we've got Amber Ring, Humbug Swarm, Novice Antomancer, Quicksilver Ooze, Search Party, which I find Search Party to be slower than I like, but it's still there. Um, honorable mentions go to Amber Coin, Copper Hall Cudgel, uh, Dark Whisper Sacrifice Fodder, and Unseen Ghostblade, though that is expensive. Yeah. So those these all make little units uh, in addition to doing something else. Uh, and then you take some other card and combine it with that and, and like multiply the impact of, of the card. So, so what are some of the cards that uh, pay you off for having a bunch of units? Uh, Angry Prophet is one of the commons that I think is one of the easiest to scoop up. And if you say Angry Prophet has two defense, I say, yes, it's also got nine attack now. <laughs> Please <Yeah>. block it. <laughs> um, Bear Arms, although you don't need this deck to make Bear Arms good, but it's really, uh, it really excels in this one. Sure. Um, Cabell Repeater, who I adore in this format, I, I think she got a lot better. Um, Combust, Fallen Militiaman, as we talked about, Grenade and Bellower, Horde Leader, Horn of Plenty, which, again, good card in general, Lethrite Intimidator, which is the one that empowers, gives attack to all uh, units, uh, Outlaw Ringleader yet again, uh, Ravenous yeah, it's, Thorn- a, it's a synergy enabler and a payoff, which is pretty strong. Yeah, that's uh, very worth noting. There's a reason this guy's double fire. They don't want him to be easy to play. Ravenous Storm Beast, Resilient Wagoneer, and Stone Scar Outfitter. Those are the really good ones, in my opinion. Yeah, I like that you call out the Thorn Beast because it doesn't seem like it is a. You have to think about it for a little bit before you see, well, I have a lot of units. I can afford to sack one uh, to make a 5 5. and and kind of diversify your threats there. Make one big guy and a bunch of little guys. I have seen a lot of Ravenous Thorn Beasts in this format, and they are almost always devastating. You were talking about how Forsworn Stranger is a 5-5 five, five, or 3. Uh, guess what? So it's Thorn Beast, and he's usually easier to pull off. Yeah. How, how well does Ravenous Thorn Beast work with the card Dark Return? Very, very well. And along with bouncing, it's very awkward to bounce a thorn beast. Like, if you put a weapon on it and your opponent is like, oh, shoot, do I leave it with a weapon? Do I bounce it? Do I let him sacrifice again? Uh, what does my life become? Anyhow, some possible payoffs are called arms, uh, which is the card that gives two units a plus one, plus one weapon. I mean, it's not great, but it's okay. Clan Hunt Caller, that's the uh, Stone Scar card that gives all of your units war cry for a turn. So if you have a bunch oh, of rats, yeah, yeah. and then you use that, and then you suddenly get, like, nine Warcry. <laughs> that, that's, that's that's pretty reasonable. And it has Warcry itself, right? It's a 4-3 it's that, for 4. Sure yeah. does. Um, consuming Flames, which usually I don't like using, but if you are lacking Streets of Flame, then that's perfectly acceptable in the token stack. Sure. Um, Headsman's Axe, which gets really funny um, if you have a bunch of units in the Void. That's the 5-cost Shadow card. That's an equipment... Uh, for a unit that gives plus zero plus zero because that's what we want our five cost weapons to do. Of course, why wouldn't you? <laughs> but it, the text is plus one plus one for each unit in your void, which hilariously I've actually used a Vishni to take all of my opponent's uh, units and make their oh. head next zero zero. <laughs> that was like one of my Whoops. golden moments of draft. Uh, that card is also pretty good with the twist uh, enablers as well, right? Because yes. you make a bunch of tokens, they die, and then you make a bunch more tokens. Yes. Headsman's Act is good in many ways, though it is expensive, so you have to be careful. Um, occasionally, Reweave can work with this, though it's not uh, something I'd search out. 
Uh, sadistically is very, very rare, but I mean, there's something to be said about having a fullborn suddenly making them mill two cards for every unit. <laughs> sure, it can be a win condition if you have a defensive deck with a bunch of little guys to, to trade or chump block. I agree that a lot of people overrate sadistically based on its effect, but in a deck like this, I think it actually is worth considering. Yeah, I think um, you have to be in it for the for the late game. It can't you yes. you can't just get one proc off and win the game off that. Yeah, um, Sanguine Sword, which is a very reasonable relic weapon, um, if you could sacrifice a unit for it. A four cost two two relic weapon isn't very good, but um, it's in uh, Argent Port, which likes these uh sorts of token decks, and if you sacrifice the unit, it gets plus two, plus two. Um, that can easily be a two for one on, on turn four. So. Absolutely, and if you're sacrificing a one, one, then you don't care. We talked about Soul Collector a bit. Spore Breath is okay if you don't have a better removal. It is a permanent debuff, so it can stop resurrection stuff. Uh, Umbrin Death Watcher is very good, though. I actually didn't realize he was in this format. Yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't played it as much. I it's weird that I love the um, the strain the three cost stranger that dies when it gets silenced, and this guy kind of dies when he gets silenced as well. And I just I don't my evaluation of these two cards is very different, and I'm not sure whether that's right or not. It's um, interesting. This guy is double shadow, so it's harder to use. Yeah, but in this type of deck, he's great. I've seen some of them easily get up to like thirteen, thirteen, and then you don't know what to do. I've seen uh, some people use unchecked aggression in the style deck, like Pojo was ex- experimenting with it. He said it wasn't worth it, and I kind of agree on the most part, but sometimes if you need to light them up, then there you go. <laughs> sure. Is that, um, is that a warp as well? Is that it is a warp. warp cycle? I would not recommend it if it was not warp. Warp at least makes it passable. In time, there's Blurred Sting of Moloch, uh, Sadistic Ritualist, and Submerged Titan. And in general, Onslaught really likes these token decks because it doesn't matter if you sacrifice a token just to get your effect. Sure. And if you have enough, you know, you can just kind of... If, if they only have one blocker, you lose a token to do a bunch of damage and then get your Onslaught trigger. Yeah. That's pretty good. Now, um, I know that you actually you actually mentioned uh, Khalees. I didn't mention that because it's a rare, but obviously yeah. that's kind of the uh, premier here's what I sacrificed my entire board to get a huge weapon. Uh, sure. It can work, but I don't think it's as good in draft because you can't orient yourself around recurring it. Yeah, you kind of have to get it back for it to be good, would you say? I would say. Um, it's a lot harder to make work in draft, but if you do, uh, it's super sweet. Then there's also, um, you mentioned, uh, is Pack Hunt actually still in this format? Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> um, but yes. I did, Six I've cost plus two play. plus two slow spell. I've used it as a finisher. It's decent. And oh, I, yeah. it's, it's yeah. very good here. You also mentioned Forgeborn. I don't really see that as a payoff. Um, it's too expensive. Um, it is pretty expensive, yeah. Now, I've see, I'm not saying it's a bad card. I'm just saying that I wouldn't look for it in a tokens deck. No, I agree with that. Other than that, you also mentioned a very good call, in my opinion, was Bottoms Up and Display of Ambition. Yeah, I think those cards are extremely good in the go-wide strategy. Bottoms up is ridiculous, because it, it doesn't matter which unit gets through if you just pump it up to be a, like, 9-1 or something and hit your opponent for death. Yeah, um, and you can you can use it to be, like, a some kind of weird X for one where you, you do a bunch of... You enable a bunch of trades with your little guys for their big guys. Yes. They block everything. It's easier with bottoms up than it is with mighty strikes, and you're not yeah. as concerned about the tokens surviving, so bottoms up is better for this um, for sure. most of the time. Uh, I do remember, I think it was Raven Dragon who said that uh, they got like 22 damage on somebody because they didn't block a unit and they used bombs up on it. 
<laughs> yeah, block block units is what what you get out of this. Uh, if, yeah. if they're in fire, yes. <laughs> yes, and uh, display of ambition. That's the fire justice shadow display. That's a permanent buff, right? The yes. the the plus one attack and overwhelm mode is is permanent. So that's pretty good too. It's it's um not usually uh people don't usually use that mode in ranked. So yeah. I think a lot of people forget that it's in draft, but um sure. it's very nice in draft. Um and. So I think those token decks are really effective if you get the pieces together. And I think that a lot of people pass them up because things like Scavenge aren't usually seen as very good. But in these types of oh, decks, sure, they, are, yeah. they are centerpieces. Yeah. One of the best ways to uh, have a synergy deck be powerful is to have you, either your enablers or payoffs be very late picks. And I think uh, this deck specifically benefits from getting... Uh, cards like scavenge or some of the other maybe objectively lower power level cards late uh, and then you can still use early picks on powerful cards or even more synergy potentially yeah so, i mean if you're, if you're taking like outlaw ringleader because you think it's good in this deck it doesn't yeah. have to be because it's it's good in any deck <laughs> for sure and then it, you know it, it pumps up your scavenges or whatever that you get late yep and uh as I mentioned in the previous podcast, scavengers fixing, so you're not necessarily picking a dead card if you don't end up in tokens. Yeah, I think it's I th I don't like it as much as some of the other uh, fixing cards, but it's not it's certainly not the worst one. <laughs> no, uh, let's just put it this way: I did not play scavenge at all in, in previous formats, and I do in this one. Especially when you have horn, especially when you have bear arms. There, there's a lot of good enablers. Just have you done all rats? <laughs> exactly. Have you done much of the Blood Nurse Bear Arms or uh, Ooze Bear Arms? I uh, have. Combos? I've never been in a deck where I've gotten to actually try it. Um, I, I don't rank Blood Nurse very highly, so I don't take it early. And I don't usually find Bear Arms that often. And if I do, I'm not usually in Justice, or not Justice, I'm sorry, Shadow. Like I said, the token deck hasn't been all that open for me. This is more from me watching other people do it and knowing that synergies are good. Yeah, I did quite a bit of this in the uh, like five to ten drafts ago uh, time period, and it was pretty powerful when it came together. Yeah, I just just sometimes you don't see the horns, sometimes you don't see the bear arms, and then you've got four blood nurses or five blood nurses and. The, uh, those cards are not very good <laughs> if you don't yeah. have something to pump them up. Well, I know that um, Ilion had a, a ton of success. I mean, like, he rode several seven-win decks with tokens. And I know that, uh, like I mentioned before, Pojo has uh, used this and experimented with it, and he did pretty good. And then I saw some other people on the Discord. Uh, again, they, um, and I was, like, even though I hadn't played it, I recommended certain cards and apparently worked out well for them. Cool. So what would you say, could you say, like, um maybe five most important cards to be looking for in among these mini cards that we've talked about? What, what do you think the, the best ones are to be looking at? You mean at? in terms of to enable the deck? Either enablers or payoffs. Like, uh, Well, um, Scavenge is the obvious one that stands out to me. I would say sure. Manufacturer is pretty high up there if you can't get Scavenge. Firemane Lioness is one of the important ones. I think that um, I think that uh, Fallen Militiaman is one of the biggest benefiters, and I really like... Uh, Outlaw ringleader in almost any deck, but this one in particular. So how, I think how important do you think uh, horn is for the deck? Is it because it's time and not not in your like core colors? Would you say it's it breaks into that 
I don't think it's important. I don't think it's absolutely vital. I think it is uh, good to have. Like if you if you okay. can pick one up, then yes, use it. But um, it's not like you can't be a token deck without Horn of Plenty or something. Oh, and uh, I will say that uh, I kind of I kind of went over it like very briefly, but Horde Leader is also a pretty big standout. Yeah, that's pretty good. And some of the um, some of the buff spells that you were talking about are renown enablers. Yes. Um, so that triggers the so the Horde Leader is a, a five cost fire unit. It's a three three. When it attacks, it gives all your other guys plus one attack, which is pretty good when you have tokens. And when uh, with renown, it gives you a free barbarian ring, which gives another plus one attack to everything. So that can uh, really pump up the the go wide strategy. Do you know that the barbarians camp is not actually in this uh, format? Uh, you yeah, can only get it off horde leader. There's also I, I totally forgot about this. Granite ring is in this format, isn't it? Yeah, granite ring. Uh, use it's a pretty ring. good card. Okay, cool. Any, anything you want to say to wrap up the the token segment? Just like any other synergy deck, don't force it. Use what you um, find open. Benefit from your light picks and use them when your other uh, when other players cannot. I think that's really key. I, that, that's that's a very good suggestion. Okay, cool. So we're going to talk a little bit here about our uh, phase theory. We'll, we'll cover one more phase, and I especially wanted to talk about this phase uh, with. Celtic on, because the phase we're going to be talking about now is racing. So in the original quadrant theory, there was one, um, well, let's let's recap what we've talked about so far in quadrant, the, our version of state theory, quadrant theory, that sort of thing. The, the idea is that there's several different like macro game states that you can be in. You can be winning, you can be losing, you can be playing on curve, which is developing, uh, and cards in general, are better or worse in some of these situations. So if you think about the situations, it can help you determine when the cards are good or how good the cards are if they're good in multiple situations. So it, the original uh, theory that we're basing on this off was quadrant theory, and one of the phases in that was uh, at parity or even. But that parity phase covers a lot of different scenarios, and I think it's important to talk about racing separately because it's quite a bit different when both of the life totals are decreasing moderately rapidly to the scenario where you're both just staring at each other over a board full of creatures and nobody can do anything. So uh, r racing is something that I think happens quite a lot in games. Uh, it can be as easy as you have a 3-3 ground creature and you're attacking and they're attacking you with a 2-2 flying creature. They can't really block you very effectively, and you can't block them at all because their creature has flying. So you're taking their life total down in three-point chunks, and they're taking your life total down in two-point chunks. And if that continues forever, one of you will lose first. Uh, and that's where the racing comes in, because uh, you have you, it will take you a certain number of turns to kill your opponent, and that, that would be commonly referred to as your clock. How long it would take uh, like a five turn clock two turn clock three turn clock and your opponent has a similar clock on you and things that can change this clock are often quite good uh, in this phase uh, either by making your unit bigger or doing some one of the various other things that we're going to talk about during this phase so 
you should know what your clock is. You should know what your opponent's clock is. You should know who's who's advantage currently and what could change that. Do you have anything to say about the, the racing phase before we get started on specific cards, Kelton? Yeah, sure. Um, so with racing, it's hard to identify when you're in a racing situation. Um, a lot of times people will just say, oh, I'm attacking. They don't think my opponent is attacking me back. Do I have enough life to spare this for? Um, now, something that I want to note when you were saying things about changing the clock, oftentimes if you use like a, a weapon, for instance, maybe you say, I don't know if I want to equip this onto my unit yet. Maybe I get a better one. But then you think, that turns my five-turn clock into a four-turn clock. It might be worth it just for that. And note yeah. that when you are... This is very much a common sense statement, but sometimes you have to say these before people really think about them. The less turns your opponent gets, the less likely they are to draw out of what you've got them stuck in. That's very true. Uh, you want to put your opponent in, in uh, time pressure so that they're forced to do something sooner rather than later uh if if you both just drew all your cards then it would be a lot harder to win you, you want to win while you have an advantage so it is important to to be getting this chip damage in attacking when you can when the costs are low that sort of thing i do want to make a mention also uh this is a phrase that i think is really important um what i've heard of it um as is are you the beat down Exactly. Um, yeah. Now, that's a valuable question to ask yourself, and there are some situations where it might not matter. Uh, you were talking about how there might be a ground unit of flyer racing. Well, you can't help that then. Um, if <laughs> yeah. you, you're like, I can't stop them anyway. We're both going to be beat down. So let's go. Um, but sometimes you have to take a step back, analyze the board. Maybe you're playing an aggressive deck, and and a lot of people say aggro doesn't matter because um, it's easy, all you, right? All yeah. you do is attack, right? No, <laughs> aggro. There's a reason that I am very bad with aggro decks. I usually like mid-range because aggro is a lot of complicated thinking about whether you should attack this turn or not. Exactly. Um, is it a race I'm going to win? Is it worth potentially throwing away units to get my other ones through? Is it worth taking hits from their unit if it means I'm damaging them as well? Yeah. Stuff like that. Think about it. And I want to give a like personal example because I think this does a good job of it, even if it's a really weird situation I was in. So I was playing Steeled last night, so keep in mind, these are not cards in draft, necessarily. Sure. Um, my opponent had a Slumbering Stone. That's the card that could break open to be a Gargoyle. Okay. Um, they played Stone's Car Outfitter, so cool. Their 0-2 can now attack as a 1-2, right? I had two basic units. I want to say they were like 2-2s two or something. They weren't very threatening. I played a bigger unit, and they played Polymorph on it, so now it was a 1-1 one, one Frog. So I had three small units. Sure. They kept attacking. They thought that their one two uh gargoyle or not gargoyle their slumbering stone they thought it was gonna like win them the game because they kept attacking with this thing <laughs> sure and i kept attacking them back because they weren't gonna block my frog they weren't gonna try and get a gargoyle out of their stone they were just attacking with no support and i was like this is this is good i'm winning this race <laughs> sure and by the time they finally figured out they probably should stop attacking it was way too late <laughs> yeah it's important to understand like what happens if your opponent doesn't block uh, do you need to have that creature on defense to prevent your opponent from attacking? Uh, th those are, and I and I really like that you didn't block their creature. If my opponent attacked me with a one-two slumbering stone, I would not block it with a two-two creature because then they just get a 
3-2 flyer, which is much more threatening. Almost every player that I've gone against who has Slumbering Stone has the right idea of make it really awkward for my opponent to attack because then I yep. block and I get a better unit. Stone Scour Magus had a similar effect. Like uh, Some people joked that he was unblockable because you didn't want to block him and have the effect go off. Yeah, for sure. But um, So even if Stone Scour Outfitter in this situation incurs the aggression due to the plus one attack ability, that doesn't mean he should have been, or my opponent should have been attacking every turn. Please keep in mind that whenever I say something like this, I'm not saying, oh, that person was a terrible player. I'm saying that was a very poor decision in this game. Sure, sure. And a lot of people make mistakes it, uh, related to racing. So if you had, let's say, a 4-4 um, four, four, and a 1-4, and your opponent has a 3-3, three, three, uh, you can attack with the 4-4, four, four, and they can't really block it very well. Do you attack with that 1-4? Let's say it's a 1-4 flyer, right? So they can't block it. If you attack with the 1-4, you deal one point of damage, but then you take three from them when they attack you. So there's a trade of damage going on there when you choose to use your 1-4 flyer as an attacker instead of a blocker to cancel out their damage. And, and sometimes it's right to get that extra point of damage, and sometimes it's right to hold it back and uh, prevent the damage your opponent would do. And that's all comes down to this clock calculation uh, that you, you should be doing, you should be thinking about anyway. This is a... The reason that it's such a complicated subject, there are so many board states to evaluate and so many different cards to take into account. There are swings that can be uh, done through certain cards and abilities. Ben's going to talk a bit about that in a moment. Sure. Um, but uh, keep in mind the opponent's factions when you're racing as well. Yeah. Uh, for instance, I usually leave a blocker back more if it's fire because my opponent could have charge units. If it's primal, I usually don't leave back blockers because they might just stun them and get through anyway. Also, uh, keep in mind, do you see pauses? Do you think they have a combat trick that might actually matter? If they haven't played like it's mattered, then maybe that maybe it's something that just isn't going to impact the field right now. Yeah, for sure. Let's let's um, let's bring this down a little more concretely, and let's talk about some cards that are really good in the racing situation. How about that? Yep, sounds good. So one of the cards that's, I think, one of the best cards in a racing situation is Incidental Life Gain. And I call out a, a few cards here that are pretty good. The perhaps the one of the better ones is the card Spiteful Strike. It's a one shadow fast spell that gives a unit plus two plus one life steal and quick draw. This incidental life gain that you gain that, that you get while you're dealing damage, uh, while you're attacking your opponent, really throws off the the math of the race and, and can cause like very strong swings in how many turns it takes to kill your opponent and how many turns it takes them to kill you. Uh, another incidental life gain card is Display of Honor, uh, which I think is very powerful in this format. Oh, it's yes. a, it's a th one of the modes of Display of Honor is a three power fast spell in Fire Justice Primal that gives plus four, plus four, and life steal. Again, this is basically incidental life gain. You're, you're not paying a lot to gain the life, but the life is very important when it's stapled onto this otherwise very good combat trick. The flaw um, of that plan is that you don't get to turn your opponent into a goat. That's true, yes. Why would, why would you not want a goat on the field? You, you do want to turn your opponent into a goat, and I have done that mode uh, a few times, that's for um, sure. But I will actually clarify because this is important. A lot of people will use the goat form thing when they could have just used it on their uh, own unit and 
killed them anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, it's different risks. It also leaves uh, the weapons on the unit. The, yes. the goat will have the weapons still if there's yes. weapons. Um, so it, the goat mode is more relevant in ranked because of resurrection and such. Um, yeah, usually it's not as common in draft. So effect. I think that most people need to understand that when using display of honor, it's usually the life steal and boost are what you want. Not always, but most of the time. In, in draft, for sure. Yes, in draft. And, and that's the mode that swings the races the most, I would yes. say. There's also a Throne Warden, which is an uncommon. It's a 5 Justice Justice for a 4-4 four, four Aegis unit. And when it comes into play, you gain 4 armor. That's kind of like life gain. Um, and you've got this big ground creature that can block and is immune to removal spells. Um, so it, it swings races quite strongly. Uh, in, in like multiple dimensions. Uh, there's also Corrupted Behemoth, uh, which we've talked about a lot, five-time, uh, four-six overwhelm unit, uh, and you can twist it to gain some life. Um, you can gain a lot of life, incidental life off Corrupted Behemoth, and that can strongly swing races. I, I know that that was a card that was really hard to beat early in uh, in Setsex Draft. So we didn't call out cards in here that only gain life. All of these cards do something while they're gaining life. They're a unit, they're a combat trick, they're something else, and you get life on top of that. And that's the best form of life gain, the incidental life gain. Is there anything, any cards you'd specifically like to call out here? I know Crown Watch Standard from the past format yes. was extremely good, but oh, that has rotated, unfortunately. Well, maybe fortunately. We don't have to face it well, now. <laughs> fair enough. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, Leather Dire Beast is one of the ones I think of the most. Uh, any okay. card with lifesteal is really, really important. Um, I think that card is extremely good because it's, it's above rate in all the modes. Uh, so yeah, for sure. Uh, so that one stands out. Then there's, there's some like Spire Spell Sword where you don't want it even though it is lifesteal. But most of the time if a unit has lifesteal, it's worth noting. Um, because you can always put weapons on it. Make it bigger. Exactly, and that the Lethray Dire Beast is the three three four three in uh, shadow that has life steal and shifts in to give another unit life steal, just to cover all our bases there. I do think it's kind of strange that some people will give their give life steal to a unit that's not as high in attack as it. Um, yeah, I think it gets misused a lot in that regard. There are certainly times where you want to, where you might want to shift it just because you want to be unblocked or something. It is a tricky card to play, especially yes. when you're behind. Because if you shift it in, you kind of have two lifesteal units that they have to kill. But then uh, you have one less blocker. Yeah. So it, it can be hard sometimes to evaluate um, when to shift it and when to not. Especially since the costs are very similar. Shift is a complex mechanic in general. When do you shift? When don't you shift? And that can be very valuable to racing as well. If, is it better just to play my shift unit unshifted because that means I can pressure my opponent? There are many times where I've played Novice Entomancer as a 3-3 just because I wanted to pressure, um, even though I could have waited till 5 to get another unit out of it. For sure. I had opponents play a... Uh, one of my opponents in the last stream played a Nimble Conscript shifted, with me at it was a it was a five six nimble conscript because it received some war cries. They played it shifted when I was at five life, and they died before it came out of the shift. So Oops. they did not do the the race calculations very well there. Uh, <laughs> they were probably they were probably under the impression that uh, that would mean there was a immediate death for you if it got it's unshifted. But yeah, a guaranteed kill. Except I have 
I have cards in my deck that do things. Yes. So it didn't work out too well for them. A section I really want to get your opinion on is the next section here of stuns and temporary removal. What do you think um, about these cards in a race? I think they're fantastic because they really throw off your opponent's calculations. Uh, keep in mind that Igus and Endurance are both things that really shoot you in the foot with those. That's true. Uh, um, you can't stop every unit from... And there are things like High Alert which break the stun. Okay. But there are there are situations where you're trading damage. Your opponent thinks they're going to win. Then you stun their unit out of nowhere and they don't win. And then you win because you had the counter clock on them. For sure. It, whatever their clock was, it's two turns slower if, if you have a fast spell stun. Yes. And whatever your clock is, it's the same. And, or maybe even better, because now you can attack through their stunned units. Yes. So it, it can strongly, like, a lot of times when you're in a race, you're winning by one turn or maybe two turns. And if you if you cast a spell and change that race by two turns, that's turning a, win, uh, a loss into a win. That's why fast stuns are a lot more value than slow stuns. Uh, For sure, yeah. Along with some other things, like being a combat trick when walking. And that's one reason, like, you mentioned Flash Freeze here. Unfortunately, Flash Freeze is no longer in this format. Yeah, yeah. But um, Entangling Vines is, like, that's uh, still a good card because it takes away a couple of blockers while you're trying to get through. Or it stops them from counterattacking you while you're attacking. That's true. It does prevent uh, them from blocking twice and attacking once. Yes. So it does, it does add one to their clock and maybe subtracts one from yours because of the creatures that can attack that couldn't previously. So it is still a pretty strong swing. Yes. What are some other uh, stuns or temporary removal that you'd like to call out uh, that are particularly good in racing situations? I've always loved Avalanche Yeti. I still think it's one of the strongest uncommons out there. Um, it's the card that's two primal, two two, shifts, and when it's shifted uh, for six, it stuns two units until it emerges. Yeah, that card is really unfair because it's it's a slow speed stun, but it it prevents uh, like it's sort of prevents three and a half blocks from your opponent because they can't block that turn or the next two turns, and then they can't block the Yeti on the last turn. Yes. So like, there's so much non-blocking that goes on there, and they can't attack for three turns either. So it's just like a super stun, man. But, yeah. As long as you have like anything going on, the Avalanche Yeti is is pretty good uh, pressure. If it's the only thing you have, then no. maybe it's not but great. I have survived games because I've had an Avalanche Yeti to stun them long enough to get back into it, so it's not totally useless. Oh, for sure. Or useless at all, I would say, most of the time. Uh, but other than that, there's Frostwave, which can be a better Flash Freeze, depending. Um, That's a swingy card. What, what does that card do? It's a one primal uh, fast spell that stuns a unit, and you can amplify three to stun another one. So, yes. at worst, it's a worse fend-off. Okay. <laughs> um, and at best, it can stun your opponent's whole board. That's pretty pretty good. Uh, the the I, seven I power like version is pretty... It, the, the seven power version is pretty nasty. Um, then there's uh, Manding Whispers, which I, I believe I've compared these cards, or at least something similar before. This can this is a game ender. You clear your opponent's board entirely and then swing in and just kill them. Yeah, it's very very similar to Frostwave. That they have to replay the units, which can uh, impact their development, and it's it's different, right? Uh, you you can bounce at the end of their turn and 
and attack. You can get more units with this sometimes. If you have a lot of power, you can you can bounce a lot of units. I like uh, Maddening Whispers in grindy decks, actually, because it yeah. just breaks the board stall and you win. Um, it's like a cannon sort of thing, right? Yes, but I will also say that um, there are cards that counter it. I, I've been hit with Maddening Whispers and then used a flash grenade, and suddenly they didn't have lethal anymore. Yeah. But I had to, to replay... I had to replay all those units. I still lost the game. So it's it's extremely powerful. That's for sure. Um, then there's, uh, there was some, like, there's fend off. So you got small stuns that you can use. Uh, there's days if you're really desperate. <laughs> sure. sure. I, what do you think about uh, the card Shield Bash? That's a four Justice Primal slow spell that stuns a unit, and then you draw a card and gain two armor. For me, you have to have synergy for like the armor gain. Um, I, any card that has draw a card on it is worth looking at, in my opinion. Sure. Um, and that cycles, but it's also a four cost, and it's two different factions. I've never played Shield Bastion Draft. I think it always seems a little too slow and clunky for me. I'm sure I've played it in a previous format and had a okay impression of it. I, I tried to play it at the beginning of this format, and it was just uh, just a little clunky, like you say. No, I, it's too much for what... I, I, let me put it this way. If it was cheaper, it would be broken, but it's not, and it just doesn't feel very good because of it. Yeah. Um, I think that... Now, I mean, if you're getting a Linebreaker Shield, then that's insane. <laughs> well, Linebreaker Shield is is pretty reasonable. It was one of the best uncommons in, the, in that format. Uh. Well, beside us if it comes back, but until then, um, I don't think Shield Bash is very good. Uh, sure. But again, I could see it being used. I could see it make it could make the cut if you're desperate for interaction. Sure, and you also have things like uh, Blink or Be Gone that, yes. uh, again, fast speed there is maybe a little better. Uh, I'm pretty high but... on uh, I'm pretty high on Blink because of the warp factor. As well, it's not always yeah. a dead draw, um, but. Um, be gone is useful for fixing as well, which makes it even more appealing. And uh, I think, are there any cards that uh, bounce? I know Praxis Displacer isn't in this. Yeah, no, I just the idea of this, like it's not a remove the, these bounce effects like Blink and Be Gone. They're not permanent removal, but they can very strongly swing a race because it's just a whole turn where that creature could not attack. And your creatures are still doing their thing, and they again, are. maybe it, it enable it may enable an attack with creatures that couldn't attack, uh, which can they, even yeah. strongly more strongly affect the race. Sorry, go ahead. No, no I, I didn't mean to interrupt. They are permanent removal if your opponent is twisted too much. Ah, uh, that is very true. On uh, with weapons. Yes, um, I have I have had that matter. It's funny. For sure, it's happened to me. Bounce a blurry chaser or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so another class of card that is pretty good in a race is just any kind of interaction for their attacks. Uh, like some any creature that you could block with, uh, any creature that you could block their flyers with, potentially. Uh, a couple cards I called out here were uh, Taride Test Pilot. It's a pretty good blocker for their flying units, or it can attack over the top of their ground defenses. Uh, and its twist ability uh, gains you armor, which is like gaining incidental health, which is pretty good. Also, Archive Curator is really strong here because 
they have to have three flying units before the archive curator doesn't stop all of them from attacking. Because uh, you silence one, block another one, and then their third one gets through. That that just so strongly reduces uh, an opponent's flying presence. Mm-hmm. Also, the card extract was in the in the previous format. That is a that is a very swingy card in a race because it gains life, removes their maybe their flying unit, maybe their ground unit, uh, scouts you for uh, another threat. So that that was really good in in racing situations. Yes. Basically, any kind of removal or any kind of creature, it, there's a there's a limit to how bad those cards can be, uh, because they can always, you know, chump block or attack. Uh, uh, sometimes you want to keep your one one just because it can soften. Yeah. It can like it can soften your opponent at first, but then you just hold it back and absorb five damage or something. Exactly. Um, That's something a, a pure life gain spell can't do. Yep. I'll also note that. Uh, Sometimes when you've got, like, a big uh, flying blocker like Archive Curator, a lot of times I've looked at the clock, um, and I notice that my opponent will be one-off lethal if I have the current clock, so I just keep Archive Curator back until that turn where it matters, and then attack and kill them. <laughs> exactly. I, it's Let's say your opponent is at five, you have an Archive Curator and a 2-2 Flyer. You probably only want to attack with the 2-2 Flyer the first turn, and then you can kill them with the three points of damage the next turn. And you have that additional safety of having that one four blocker back in case they try and do some kind of all-out attack. That that clock calculation is is very important in situations like racing. Though it is also noteworthy that that gives them uh, if they were to remove one of your units, then your clock suddenly becomes slower. But that's a that's true. Weigh, yeah. weigh the risks, weigh the benefits. Exactly. Now. A little bit earlier in the episode, we talked about some very swingy combat tricks uh, that can strongly impact a race. Do you want to talk a little bit about those, Celtic? Yeah. Um, we talked about Bottoms Up, which I think is the most swingy out there, as long as you <laughs> are not being blocked. Man, um, that, that card does so much damage. If you that... thought Flame Blast was, was damage, uh, Bottoms Up is is e- an easier to cast Flame Blast. Yes. Uh then there's Mighty Strikes. We talked about that one. Uh, you also mentioned Daring Maneuver, which does still matter if you can't get Mighty Strikes and you got Daring Maneuver. Sure. That's got Overwhelm. Um, there's also, I think, uh, one that's worth mentioning for racing specifically is High Alert. That Yeah, it, because of the endurance, yes. uh, you can strongly impact, like your little flyer might be able to block and kill their slightly bigger ground creature. Yes. Which is pretty good. Uh, it is a not an easy one to hold up and a lot of times your opponent will see it coming but sometimes they don't and you just get a free you get to eat them for free a lot of times in these racing situations i found that you're kind of both out of resources so the cost of holding up power uh is a little bit minimized because you don't really have anything to do with it anyway yes um so in these like hyper late game situations Power cost is a, a little less important. In like the developing stage, uh, high alert is, is a significant cost, I would say, to hold it up. But I, I do agree with you that it, it is kind of clunky because of how much it costs. You can't really play a creature and hold it up a lot of the time, but it is a very good card in this phase. One thing I will say is that um, usually I like to hold cards in my hand to make people think, oh, what do they have? So a lot of times people just play out all their power and don't 
hold anything back so I know they don't have any tricks or something. It, in the case of High Alert, you might want to play out your entire hand if you see that it's going to be warped in, because then your opponent thinks, oh, they got nothing. Oh, they have that. <laughs> That's pretty mean. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very mean. Also, um, when you play out all of your cards in your hand, do you think that that impacts your opponent's ability to correctly calculate the race? It, Would if, that my have opponent is, if my opponent is playing smart, yeah. Yeah. So it's often right to keep uh, one power in hand, I would say. Basically, because whatever, that throws yeah. some questions in there. Now, there is certain situations where I say I need this much power in case I like want to warp in a cannon bearer and then play another card that I got. So usually what I'll do is I'll only hold one power in there. I will play out others if there's those edge cases. I agree. I agree with that. Uh, pretty um, strongly, actually. <laughs> uh, Develop when, whenever possible. Yes. Uh, that, I mean, that's a whole different ball game. It, it's another really important thing to analyze, and it's. I guess this isn't really the place for it, but I did want to mention that um, that does affect racing in that oftentimes when my opponent plays out all their cards, they say, oh, thanks for the free information. I know I could just do this now. <laughs> exactly. It takes, takes a lot of the, the questions out. Yes. Uh, the, the complexity of calculating the races. What do you think about uh, Heretic's Cannon's, <laughs> Heretic's I don't think cannons ability to uh, affect a race? I don't think it's a combat trick, and you listed it under combat tricks. Well, it's kind <laughs> of a combat trick. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's, it's very swingy. It's very uh, swingy. Uh, Heretic's Cannon is still good, in case anyone was wondering. I've seen that pass, and I don't know why. I thought people already realized this card is dumb. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gotten them pretty late. Like... Honestly, this is a format where you can splash. You should probably be splashing powerful single-faction cards. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yes, Heretic's Cannon is probably the swingiest weapon, I want to say. Um, if there was a lifesteal weapon like Lethrite Falchion or uh, Bloodletter, that'd be a different story. But I think Heretic's Cannon is the winner with swinginess. Yeah, it's pr pretty good. Uh, that uh, Raise Dead... Or sorry, dark return oh, weapon. Bone from the saw. Oh, surgeons. I, yeah. Every time. Uh, yeah, it's, it's surgeon saw. You're right. I've lost like all but one game that my opponent has played that dumb thing in. Yeah, and it's because of the race, right? It's because it gives life steal uh, on whatever unit they were attacking with, which, which really messes up your racing calculations. It gives you a unit back, so you can play that unit. Units are pretty good in a race. Um, so it's just it's just very powerful, I think. Please uh, don't put it back in the format. I'm happy that it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's in my. It'd make all my five color decks. It'll be great. Oh, it, it would be in all my decks too. I'm just saying <laughs> that I don't want to lose to it every time. Yeah, the, the spellcraft weapons are pretty good. Oh man, they're uh, so good. I love them. The the other like traditionally good type of card in a race is charge units and uh, burn spells that can go directly to your face because they strongly impact uh, how much damage your opponent is taking on a particular turn. What, what do you think the, some good examples of charge units or uh, direct damage would be? I had one of my runs ended by somebody top-decking a bloody amethyst coin and killing me. <laughs> I would have won the next turn. So that's what I think about that. And they had the onslaught, too. That, like, that's the whole the that complete was... puzzle there. It was the last, like, they had a lightning sprite, and I calculated it so they could only twist to be a 6-1, I had 7 life. Um, they literally twisted every time to get that coin. That was their last thing that they got. Oh, that's that's sad. It was, I was so depressed. But, um, I, there you go, that was the one time it actually mattered, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, 
Now, uh, Granite Coin is the better version of that. Um, sure, sure. That, that can hit your opponent or take out a unit. Although the Amethyst Coin does give them life. Uh, that could matter in racing. Um, as for charge units, uh, I see that you wrote down Sorry Dervish. That is definitely the one I would think of in this format first. Um, she's a 3-fire, three 3-2, three charge, twist, exhaust a unit card. Uh, the twist is cost two. That's correct. Not only are you bringing in a charge unit, you're taking out one of their blockers. She's uh, insane in a bracing situation. For sure, yeah. Uh, but remember that it's exhaust, not stun. So she's not good defensively. That's true. So on the on the, it helps you be aggressive in the racing situation. Yes. Uh, so there are not actually that many charge units. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's any others. I don't think so. There, there's not. It's not a super common ability. It's very. It's very powerful. So when it does oh, show up, it can be. There's Cinder Strike. Got there. Technically a <laughs> unit. Fair enough. It's a unit that charges. I don't recommend it. Probably, probably not. That does count I, as face damage, though. So it would you say that that card is good in a race? I mean, I've had two opponents play it against me, and they both lost. So that's my knowledge about yeah. it. Well, you have to be in a race. You can't be behind. Yes. Like, that's that's the. So that's one of the advantages you get from this kind of state or phase theory. You you need to think about the various phases that a card could be played in and which of them uh, are the card above average or, or below average. So. To, be, uh, to give a serious response, Cinder Sprite is only good if you're winning already. So yeah. it's... It's just not valuable, in my opinion. Um, it's kind of like how Infernus works. Uh, most people aren't familiar with Infernus, so just to give an example. That card seems insane when you cast it for zero and hit your opponent for five. Yeah. And then if you can't follow up with it at all, they die anyway. <laughs> yeah, you did use a card to deal five damage to your opponent, and that's all it did. Yes. Whereas if you play, like, a 3-3 three, three for three, you might attack for nine with that. Yes. Uh, or, and maybe trade with one of their creatures while you're doing it. So, creatures are pretty good. Yes. Uh, okay, what about, how about, we've talked about some good cards that are very good in a race. What about some cards that are not quite as good in a race? Uh, besides the face damage, uh, you were talking about uh, face damage here. Yeah, I was going to talk about Flame Blast, but, like, Flame Blast isn't in the format, so... Yes, I'm glad it isn't, because that <laughs> card is nutty. Uh, I mean, Bottom's Up is yes. nutty, too, but at least you could see it coming. Yeah. Um, Flame Blast is like, I, I remember vividly getting killed by a 10 damage Flame Blast in one game and going, that's in the format? Oh! <laughs> okay, yeah, and that was in, it was the in first. the last format, and that was yes. a two-color format, and you, you kind of had to be two-color for to be well, able to cast the card. It sure worked with a lot of my opponents, but anyway. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, but let's, yes, uh, there's still like Char and Streets of Flame, Consuming Flames. Uh, Burn them all. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw um, Mediocre lose to a Burnham All. That was something. <laughs> Those cards are, are very good in racing situations, and that's even better than like a normal removal removal spell would be. You're removing your opponent. Uh, yes. So that's it's uh, good that we talked about that. Yeah, no, I mean, like that's one reason that Conflagrate is sometimes not as good as Streets of Flame. You can't hit your opponent with it. That's true. Uh, anyhow, um... So, bad cards when racing. Uh, you mentioned situational cards. Uh, and I know that, like, uh, it says flyer removal when units are not flyers. Um, I kind of like having those as, like, safeguards, but I understand that if you're going for a racy deck, you usually don't want them. 
Right. Um, if you have if if you're losing the race and you you have cards in your hand you can't play, those cards are not very good. <laughs> wow. More hot takes at eleven. Like I mean, I usually ran violent gust when I was in an earlier format. Um, sure. I don't think these cards are bad. Yeah. They're just um, not so good here. The more situational card is, if you're not in that situation, you're going to be very sad. Yes. Uh, if it comes down to like every card mattering, which is often true in a race. Yeah. Though so there's a lot of cards that their value changes depending on what state you're in, and I mean that's one reason I'm actually kind of, li- you know, this brings me back to a point that we were talking about with Stranger versus Lord Durbalist. Yeah. One one reason I like Lord Durbalist more than Stranger at times, the uh, Stranger at times, is simply because she's a more effective unit when it comes to racing. A little bit, yeah. It does, like, it's not very tempo positive to to play a learned herbalist. I'm but, more talking about in the later game. When, yeah, yeah, the life game can matter. When That's um, true. when you're um, when you're in a racing situation and you draw a stranger off the top and it's a two-two against your opponent's big board, then suddenly you feel very sad. Yeah, that's true. And now I'm not saying oh, herbalist is a great draw there, but she does something. So I, I would agree that in general it's better in the late game stages. Yeah. But I think it's hard to argue that the stranger is worse in the early game stages, just because no. of how like tempo efficient it is to just fix your power for basically no cost. Yeah, so I, I think get, yeah, I think it is get, important <laughs> to think about those those stages, and and different cards will be different, uh, have different values in the different stages. Yeah, I'm not going to get into like a uh, like a full on just uh, full on explanation of why my preferences line up that way. But I think it's a good example of a card, like a stranger not being helpful later on, while herbalist can be. And, and, but like you get the benefit early on of being able to curve out better. That's very fair. Yes. Uh, so I think another type of unit that is not amazing during a racing stage is units that are just kind of small, like a, a utility unit, like expedition leader or spell strike sorceress or something like that it just doesn't do enough damage to impact the clock and kind of the best it can hope for is to maybe chump block your opponent's creature for one turn Um, and if the race is close enough that can be good enough Uh, but if you're if you're a little behind it it's probably not going to be enough to just you know sacrifice a, a card to gain some amount of life for blocking their creature. Sometimes when you um, have a weapon in hand that's big enough, you just need anything to put it on. And that's in true. that time, you might just be like, oh, they get us a 1-1. One, one. Get on the field, put the cannon <laughs> on it, attack. Oh, yeah. Well, I have beaten the 1-1 one, one with cannon in the in the DVD games. Uh, so it can matter how big the creature is, but I, I agree. It, it, it's better to have a unit than nothing. Uh, it's better to have a big unit than a small unit, yes. uh, and then you know th- there's there's um, certainly a range of values that cards have. They're not just good or bad in any of these situations. We talked about some extremely good ones. Uh, I think in general, something like expedition leader is going to be on the low end. Uh, so and, and then there's a large range in between. Uh, I I also call it here that power is pretty bad to draw when you're in a race. Well, uh, there are coins. <laughs> in general. Uh, you could just draw Amethyst coins. coin, and suddenly that's the best draw sure. in the game. Yeah. Co- coins are better than normal power in the late game, certainly, because it doesn't matter 
that they're depleted. And if you can get some minor effect out of them, it can be very significant. Uh, I also, so what do you think? I, I think this is something we could have a little discussion about. What do you think about like card draw in a racing situation? Like ancient lore or wisdom of the elders, kind of the, or sacrificing uh, the relic to draw two cards, family charter. Yeah, family charter. What do you think um, about those cards in a racing situation? If I'm scouting, for instance, let's uh, let's talk about scout really briefly, just to give some context. Scouting is valuable in a race because it tells you, it gives you information. Maybe you could get something that'll instantly kill your opponent, for instance. For instance, um, so scouting can actually be very important for timing your clock. You you look, you see, you have a bottoms up. Oh, I just win the game. Let's keep it on top, and now I don't have to worry about uh, like I know not to throw away my units this turn. Because yeah, throw them away next turn. Exactly. Yes. Um, but with scouting, like if I see a, if one of my cards on top right. is like draw two cards because it's a wisdom or whatever, uh, usually I'll keep it on top because that's two extra attempts at getting something that's relevant. Right. Does your power situation matter at all there? Like, let's Absolutely. say you have like five power. It, would you, do you think wisdom of the elders is a good draw there in a close race? If I know my deck well and I know that cheap uh, cards like like conflagrate char yeah that sort of thing stuff like yep. that um, if I Lighting knew strike that on color I'm not saying I'm the best at this because oftentimes I forget what my deck has if I'm like drafting several <laughs> times in one day yeah I've been um, there um, and I know that people who stream don't get to look at Waystone themselves so oftentimes the viewers are like what are you doing you had this card in your deck <laughs> um, but. I try to think of my outs if I'm in a bad situation, or I try to think of cards that could kill my opponent with the power that I have left if I draw. Sure, sure. Uh, it, drawing cards is usually a good thing, but sometimes you just can't afford to. Yeah. So it, I think it it can be one of the better draws in the super late game if you have a lot of power to deploy the cards yes. you draw. But if it's if you do not have the power to deploy them, it can be just like another turn where you get further behind in the race, um, and so you have to you have to catch up from that. Uh, That's why I like to uh, play all my power except for one because if I yeah. do get a draw card, then suddenly it matters. Oh, definitely. If you have card draw, if you have warp. If you have uh, nightfall in the format, that's a, those are all good reasons to play all yep. your power. Um, yes. So I would say just in general, it's very important in a race that your cards are that, that your cards do something to help you win the race. Um, so we talked about um, incidental life gains, stuns or temporary removal, just any sort of normal removal spell or a, a blocker for their unit. Uh, swinging combat tricks or a way to do damage to their face. If your cards can do something like this, then in general they're going to be good in in a racing situation. And your traditional good cards like removal or big creatures are typically pretty reasonable in this phase as well. W would you agree? So uh, do you want to do any more? Is there anything else you'd like to say about the racing situation uh, in general? Just because to, this uh, is a hard, this is a hard phase to understand. Like I think people get this phase wrong a lot. They do. There are a lot of times where I have mislabeled it myself, where I've thought that I'm being them in a race, and suddenly something changes, and I realize I'm not. Or, and like um, I remember that one. Here's one good example of uh, 
racing situation that's hard to analyze. In one of your Triple uh, D games, I actually watched, uh, spectated you uh, playing somebody else. Oh, did I? It, which end of this am I on? <laughs> now I'm uh, worried. <laughs> it, it was the, you won the game. Go ahead, but here's, go ahead. <laughs> you won the game, but here's why. Um, your opponent did not get lethal when they could have. That's um, true. I often didn't had opponents miss lethal, but they miss lethal. I don't think they did it carelessly. They, I you think had they were power. playing around things that, that yes. I could have had. Yeah. You had power open. They did not know what you had in your hand. They didn't go for lethal. If they'd gone for lethal, you would have lost. But because they hesitated, you clawed your way back in and you won. Your opponent said afterwards, I should have gone for it. I would have won. And it's like, yes, you would have. Um, but that's exactly why it's hard to analyze. They didn't know what you had. That's true. And you have to weigh that risk versus reward. Um, is it worth attacking and possibly being blown out? Or do I just try and go for it, win the game? I, I think if you're not going to win a game that goes longer, you have to take your chance yeah. while you have it. Yes. Uh, and if you can read your opponent for a fast spell, if you can, like the kinds of cards you have in your deck, if you have a lot of cards that are good in a racing or parody situation, maybe you say, okay, I'll go further into this racing parody situation because my deck will help me more than my opponents will help them. There's also a lot of, um, there's a lot of timing involved. I remember vividly a game I had where um, somebody tried to attack me for lethal. Um, I waited because they were, um, I, I waited and because I waited and they were the one to first show their card, I was able to bounce them and win response. Exactly. You have I, to. Patience is, is a virtue in, in racing situations. That's for sure. There were two units. I could have bounced one to save my life. Um, but I didn't know which one I wanted to bounce. So I waited. Then they played Finest Hour on one of them, and I bounced that one. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good deal. If I had <laughs> not, if I had not waited, I would have died. So yeah. there you go. That patience is similar to that "Don't kill things that are already dead" segment that we talked yes. about, where you weren't dead, so you had the luxury of being able to wait to use your bounce spell, and then when they went for uh, lethal by trying to change the race with a pump spell, you were able to react. I really like that discussion. I think we, we covered a lot of topics there. Yep. Uh, so I think we will wrap this one up. We still have more to go in our phase or state theory of card evaluation, but that'll have to wait until next week. Yes. So we learned about uh, how to evaluate cards in the racing situation. We also looked at some uh, top uncommons and token synergy in the 6.5 draft format. Uh, we talked about a bunch of cards at the beginning uh, for card evaluation and undervalued cards. And we did our card of the week, listener of the week, and patron question of the week. So this is a very, um, very dense episode with information. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. What we learned is that Amethyst Coin is broken. Nerf it. Basically, the best card you could have. It's, that's that's what was uh, proven by this episode. Of course, it's it's what we'll be remembered for in the future. So that's our show. Uh, thank you again to all our patrons for making this show a success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Join us in the Discord. The link will be in the show notes. 
uh, just participation is is a strong uh, benefit to the show. Uh, you, you, everyone who's participating in the Discord is making everybody's knowledge and uh, and experiences better. Uh, finally, thumbs up all of Raven Dragon's Reddit posts, and don't forget to send all seven win deck lists you find this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. And remember to keep on farming. Goodbye.